Hello everyone and thank you for joining me for this podcast all about mtDNA and what it can tell us. Now many people listening will be familiar with DNA itself, deoxyribonucleic acid. You might have heard of, if you're studying for A-levels or beyond, heard of cDNA or complementary DNA. This is a chemical that's formed as part of um, the genetic engineering process. So when you look at gene technologies, that's when you really learn about the cDNA using messenger RNA as a guide ultimately to, to produce a piece of complementary DNA. But mtDNA is not something that you um, often come across. It's certainly something I don't teach about. Now, mt stands for mitochondrial. You might think that DNA is just within the nucleus, but as it happens, both the nucleus and the mitochondria in a cell contains DNA. When I talk about mitochondria, I'm talking about the organelle within a cell responsible for aerobic respiration. It's the site of aerobic respiration. Now, interestingly, compared to nuclear DNA, MT, or mitochondrial DNA, contains very few genes. Nuclear DNA is made up of about 3 billion bases, but mtDNA consists of just 16,568 bases, and that codes for only about 40 genes. The genes it contains, though, are very similar in all species. The DNA in the mitochondria is essential for respiration, and most of it is identical in all individuals. So what we say is that it's highly conserved. Now, unlike nuclear DNA, mtDNA has no junk DNA, although research is showing that our understanding of junk DNA might actually be wrong. But we do know that nearly every base pair in mtDNA has a function. Just to clarify, when I when I use the term junk DNA, I'm talking about DNA that has um, sort of non-coding regions or non-coding sections. Although, where I say that we think the research is wrong, we now believe that those non-coding sections have a sort of regulatory fu- function. So they are regulating uh, the actions of other genes that do code for things. Now, the features of mtDNA, which make it particularly important include the fact that it has a higher mutation rate than chromosomal DNA. It has very little or no genetic recombination. And humans, male or female, derive all of their mitochondria from their mother through the cytoplasm of the ovum, so the egg. So why is mtDNA important? Well, unlike nuclear DNA, mitochondrial DNA is usually passed from one generation to another by the female gamete, or sex cell, the egg, only. The sperm does contain mtDNA in the mitochondria of its tail, but when the sperm fuses with the egg, the tail falls off, losing the father's mitochondria. And I have recorded a podcast that talks more specifically about embryology, and in fact this um kind of aspect that I've just alluded to. Now, in addition, the much larger egg supplies much more cytoplasm to the zygote, as in the fertilized egg cell, than does the relatively tiny sperm. In other words, all of the DNA in every one of your mitochondria, and there are usually hundreds of mitochondria in a typical cell, came from your mother. Now, because your mtDNA came solely from your mother, scientists can trace maternal lineage. 
Mutations in mtDNA are responsible for a whole range of diseases, including some forms of deafness, diabetes and heart disease. Unlike mutations in nuclear DNA, many of which are rapidly repaired, mutations in mitochondrial DNA can accumulate over a person's lifetime. At this point, I just want to refer to the forensic use of mtDNA. You'll know that on this um, Kytospology podcast channel, I've recorded a vast number of um, forensic-based podcasts. So I'm always interested in the forensic angles, but especially um, here. Now, there may be very little nuclear DNA remaining on badly decomposed bodies. And in such cases, it's mtDNA that actually can be the thing that is the most valuable mtDNA is much more abundant than nuclear DNA. A single cell may contain thousands of mitochondria and often it's the mtDNA that helps in identification. Scientists can also use something called the PCR amplification or polymerase chain reaction amplification and I'll do a podcast on that shortly and sequencing of the cytochrome C gene on mtDNA to identify the, I guess you could say, protected species from which banned products have been made. So that's a little bit about the forensic use of mtDNA. But let's consider the advantages and disadvantages of using it. So it sounds, I mean, I've, I've alluded to a number of things. It sounds all positive. And there are a number of advantages. Some would say that outweigh the disadvantages. So all of the mtDNA of a maternal line should be identical so there will be a greater chance of getting samples from different generations with which to check matches and since there can be hundreds or even thousands of mitochondria in every cell there's much greater chance of mtDNA surviving for testing than nuclear DNA but and it's a big but here and these are two big disadvantages one it is very expensive but moreover, using mtDNA only reveals information about the maternal line, not the paternal, so not the father's line. It's only the maternal line that you can get other information on. mtDNA changes more slowly than nuclear DNA, and this is why it's particularly useful in establishing the degree of relatedness between organisms, and thus identifying possible evolutionary relationships. So I want to talk about mtDNA in the African populations because the highest level of genetic variation in mtDNA in modern day humans occurs in African populations. Homo sapiens or humans are thought to have originated and evolved in Africa. So there's been more time for mutations to occur in the mitochondrial DNA generating greater genetic variation. Now you need to know, and it's really important, that it isn't that the mutation rate in Africa is greater than elsewhere. The environment is unlikely to affect the mutation rate. It's simply a matter of time over which random mutations have been able to occur. And there's a few case studies that I can refer to uh, based on all this information. So one uh, case that is looking at human evolution. Scientists have analysed a number of nucleotide differences in a uh, section of mitochondrial DNA from humans, from chimpanzees and Neanderthal man. And ultimately what they were trying to do was answer the question, which individual 
is most closely related to the Neanderthal in this particular study. Now, the smaller the number of nucleotide differences, the more closely related were the individuals. And in those particular studies, humans with only 20 differences were very closely related to the Neanderthal compared to the chimpanzees. The Neanderthal DNA was extracted from a fossil approximately 24,500 years old. And scientists can actually estimate the relative age, called the relative age, of the Neanderthal fossil using um, a process called stratigraphy, which basically assumes that the deeper the rocks in which the fossil was found, the older it is. The oldest stratum is at the bottom and younger layers, if you like, lie above. And an estimate of the absolute age of the fossil can be obtained by, as you may know, carbon dating. There's something called, I think it's a really fascinating concept, mitochondrial eve. So in 1987, scientists uh, Can et al. Uh, published a controversial scientific paper claiming that their study of the mtDNA or mitochondrial DNA of 157 people chosen to represent all racial groups indicated that all humans are descended from a single woman who later became known as mitochondrial eve the scientists estimated that mitochondrial eve lived in africa between 150,000 to 200,000 years ago by using what is known as the molecular clock hypothesis or mch the mch is based on the average rate of mutation of dna over time the greater the difference in nucleotide sequence between two individuals the longer ago it was that they shared a common ancestor. The molecular clock is calibrated by comparing the differences in nucleotide sequences between similar species, whose date of speciation we already know from fossil evidence. But, and I think this is a, a nice kind of closing argument, or I say point I'd like to raise in this particular um, podcast. mtDNA isn't just useful for studying human evolutionary relationships. Scientists have also collected samples of DNA from the mitochondria of wolves from different European countries and for each sample they identified the number of particular stretches of DNA or halotypes present. Halotypes are combinations of alleles for several genes that are located close together on a chromosome and tend to be inherited together. New halotypes can result from mutation. Now in this particular uh, study uh, they looked at four countries, France, Spain, Portugal and Italy. Um, in France, uh, 10 wolves were sampled and they found one um, halotype in the mtDNA. In Spain, 80 wolves were sampled and they found three halotypes. 22 wolves sampled in Portugal and they found two halotypes. And 105 wolves sampled in Italy and found just the one halotype. So as you can see, and ultimately what I'm getting at here is that by collecting mtDNA, you're able to look at how closely related these actual organisms are. Another example, or another case that, if you like, are that of predatory cats. Many studies have been carried out on genetic variation in tigers and other predatory cats. Polymorphic sites are sections of DNA where the nucleotide, or base sequence, varies. And they're an indication of genetic diversity. Now, in the studies into variation in mtDNA base sequence in predatory cats, 
the MTA mtDNA data for tigers, where there were very few polymorphic sites, suggested that at some point during the past few thousand years, tigers suffered a huge population decline before recovering in numbers. And there has simply been insufficient time since that collapse for significant genetic diversity to develop. So I think we can all agree that mitochondrial DNA and its analysis is really quite fascinating. It reveals so much information. And I find it a particularly interesting topic because when I talk to my own students, they we look at DNA only from a nuclear point of view. So to learn that there is mitochondrial DNA passed down from the mother's side, it's a really interesting area to delve into. And that's why I wanted to record this uh, short introduction to mtDNA as a podcast. Uh, and if you are interested, feel free to drop me any questions that you have about it at kytospodogy@gmail.com. Uh, I'd like to take this opportunity as well to thank our sponsors, Curriculum Press, for providing content for me to use for this particular podcast. And hopefully you'll join me again on the next podcast. Take care, everyone.